Well, good morning, Connection Church. How are you doing? Happy Easter. He's risen, right? That's right. I knew I had some Baptists in here. Um, I'm just playing. Uh, what a way that what a special way to celebrate Easter, right? The baptisms on Easter morning. It's so cool to watch people express their salvation through baptism from going from death to life in Christ. And if you're new here this morning, my name is Michael Page. I'm the campus pastor here at Connection Church. Savannah now, we're kind of over, overseeing a bunch of different communities, so we just said Savannah, okay? So it's, it's not a big deal. Um, and what I, I always love watching people um, taking their next step in their faith, whether it's salvation or baptism or joining a connect group or no matter what it is, because what that is, is that's the, that's the imagery of what we're trying to do here at Connection Church, and that's connecting you to a growing relationship with Jesus. And growing always takes steps. You need to take steps of faith through your relationship with Jesus to see him come alive in you. And what I want to say today is on Easter, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, it just feels a little more special to see people taking their steps on that day. It's so cool to watch. And, uh, you know, baptisms, they always remind me um, of the power of the gospel. It reminds me of the power of the gospel and how, how the power of God has worked in someone's life in a way that they had no power to do in their own power. And what I loved, I mean, I, it's emotional watching these stories play out like they did, um, how, how the, uh, you know, Nicole and, and, the, and the, sharing the, the testimony as they were, she was about to baptize, just brought emotion on me because I watched, I could just feel and see the steps that were taken in their lives together as God was like molding them together to walk through life together. And it reminds me of, of John 3, 16 where it says, for God so loved that he gave, that he gave, that he gave. He gave the ultimate gift by paying the ultimate price for us. And the thing is, he didn't stay in the grave, which is awesome for us. He didn't stay there. He, he grows. And not just dying a physical death on the cross, but this is the worst part of this whole entire, you know, Holy Week is that Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us. That's a big deal. That is the, that's the reason he sweat blood and, 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 and sweat in the garden was because he saw the wrath that was to come. He saw the joy that was set before him, though, and he went anyway. And that's the beauty of Easter, and that's the beauty of what we're doing here today. He stepped in front of all of that to make a way for you to come back, even though you may reject him. That's love. That is love. And this morning, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. If, if this is your first time in church for a long time, or if you've been a faithful church attender your entire life, my heart for you this morning is this just wouldn't be another Easter where we dress up in pretty clothes and come sit in a church. That's not what I want this to be for you this morning. My heart for you this morning is that you would see Jesus for who he is, high and lifted up above all things on earth, and be able to see him as the Savior of the world, the Savior of your heart, and the only way back to God. That's my heart this morning for us as a church and as a people. Because if we get so wrapped up in doing this religious thing, we get bogged down in some messed up stuff, man. If we need to see him for who he is, the beauty of Jesus, going to the cross, he, he, he knew, he knew what was to come, and he went anyway. And so this morning, can we just celebrate that? Can we just celebrate that Jesus rose for us this morning, and he, we, we don't have to face hell or our separation from God because he drank it all for us. That's awesome. And we're, we're here this morning as, as we're every week. What we're going to do is we're going to celebrate the good news of the gospel. We do this every week. Um, you know, Jesus died. He rose again, and, and he, 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 he did that to save you. Not to make you a better version of yourself, not to make you a, a better person, not to do those things where you might have been a little, little bad person here, but now you, you don't cuss as much over here. No, he did that to, to take you from a state of deadness, no life, face down in the water, blue lips and everything, to brand new life. You're a new creation in Christ when you come into a relationship with Jesus. He came to save you. We didn't need to be rescued. We needed to be saved. We needed to be restored back to him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. It says, God made him who had no sin. He was perfect. And the next three words says, to be sin. He became sin. Why? So that in him, so that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And if you don't hear that this morning, I pray that you would dig into that because it, that saying that we have the opportunity to become the righteousness of God should blow your mind. Because when you see how holy God is and, it, and then the Bible says that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that should blow your brains. 
Because it's amazing that we have the opportunity to step in his presence in that manner. And what better news is there in the entire world than this? Let me answer that. There, there's none. There's nothing. There's nothing else that's better than that. Nothing. Nothing comes close. And today what we're doing is we're celebrating that because this is the central confession of the Christian faith is that Christ is risen. He's risen. There's no grave that can hold him. There's no grave that contains him. It's empty. Right? And that's the beauty of our faith this morning. Because if this, doesn't, if this didn't happen, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, guess what? Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. This wouldn't matter. This church wouldn't matter. Nothing would matter because everything would be a waste of time unless Jesus rose from the dead. But if he did, nothing else can stay the same in your life. Nothing else. Because the way that we live, the way that we breathe, the way that we spend our money, treat our spouse, to raise our kids is different than the world tells us to do it. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Without the resurrection, nothing else in our faith matters. It's just a bunch of religious rituals without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, that's what we're celebrating. Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain if Christ was not risen from the dead. In the early church, when Christians would pass by one another on the street, when they would, when they would greet one another in their homes, they would kind of go like we just did at the beginning of the service. They would say, Christ is risen. And the response would be, Christ is risen indeed. It was the central confession of everything they did, and it changed everything about who they were. They weren't normal people anymore. It was the central and foundational truth, and it motivated the church into all the world to see the world saved, to see the world come to Christ, to see the glory of God spread to the ends of the earth. And this is what people who followed Christ saw as worth dying for. They saw it as worth facing persecution for. They saw it as, as nothing else was worth more than the gospel reaching the ends of the earth because this was the good news of Jesus raising again from the dead, making a way for us. And this is the foundation of my faith. And if you're a believer in here, this is the foundation of your faith, that Jesus Christ had lived a life I wasn't able to live. I can't live that life. And he died a death to pay a debt that I owed. And we say it like this, and I heard it said in many other churches this same way, Jesus in my place, Jesus in our place, taking my place to do this. He was rejected by God in my place. He drank the cup of God's wrath that was mine, and he died for us so that we could live with him and so that we could find our hope and our fulfillment in him. And I know for a fact there's people in this place this morning who are looking for living things in dead places. And I want to tell you right now, looking for living things in dead places doesn't work. You won't, you won't find it. And I'm telling you right now, whenever, whenever they came to the grave, they didn't find nothing. Jesus was risen. He was alive. And one of the weightiest questions I'll have to ask you today is we all have to answer this at some point in our lives, is what are you going to do with Jesus? Not what's your wife going to do, or what's your kids going to do, what's your grandpa going to do. What are you going to do with Jesus? Because you accept Jesus or you reject Jesus. That's, that's the, the two things. There's no middle ground in this question. Um, when we hear the gospel, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ dying and raising again, when we are faced with the cross in our faces, it requires a response. You have to respond. There, there's no getting around it. Not responding is rejecting. Being passive is rejecting. We're not, when we, we, and the thing is, we don't get a pass on this response. Jesus, listen, Jesus made it easy to get to heaven. He made it easy to get back to God's presence. He took, the, he took the nails. He took the wrath. He took the beating. For us, he made a way through Jesus when there was no way at all to get back. He made it hard to get to hell. To go to hell, you have to step over Jesus. You have to step over the cross to get there. You have to choose to go there. Romans 1, go read it. I'm telling you right now, we choose against God. And he gives us what we want whenever we choose against that. And the reason the Bible talks about the way is narrow and the few find it is because few people discover the freedom that's found in self-denial and self-surrender because we are too entrenched worshiping the God of self. Today, just by statistics alone, I'm, I'm confident in saying that there are people in this room and all across our country and our city this morning that came to church because it's Easter. 
you know. And, and this is what we do on Easter. We, we go to church because it's Easter. You know, we, we celebrate the resurrection. We sing some cool songs. Uh, we listen to a pastor talk about the resurrection. And then we go eat the food. We go hunt the eggs. It's, it's tradition. You know, that's what we do. It's, it's tradition, right? And, you know, what I know about Easter is this, is it's probably one of the most spiritually diverse holidays celebrated in the church. You know, there are people who don't want to be here but are. They're here to appease a spouse or a child, and they couldn't care less to hear another gospel message because they think they're good people, and they're going to heaven because they don't cuss, drink, or beat their spouse. It's, 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 it's statistical, I'm telling you. There are people here who know they're not saved, and they don't care because they don't think it's real. They don't believe it. There are people here who think they're saved, but they aren't. There's people here this morning who are broken and looking for a Savior, but they're too scared to take those steps because fear has paralyzed them. Fear of rejection, fear of uh, just, just fear has paralyzed some people in this room. And let me first tell you right now, first of all, you, you all need to know this is that I love you. We love you at this church. We want you to be here. We want you to be plugged in. We want to call you family because we believe the family of God is what shows the world the love of God. Let me tell you, if this is you this morning, don't worry. We're not going to ask you to do anything weird. I'm not going to call you out. But we do hope this morning that you'll see Jesus in a real way. We hope that you see him in a real way for who he is, the resurrected king, the savior of the world. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. And I'm sure we can all relate to the prodigal son in some way in this place this morning. Let's pray together. And we're going to be turning to Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn in your Bibles there while we pray. <coughs> Father God, we love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for going to the cross for my sin, God, for our sin. I pray, Father, that you would just uh, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Father, the people in this room that may be lost, I pray that you would just speak to them this morning in a brand new way. God, I pray for uh, your word to penetrate a heart this morning. And I pray for, uh, I just, I gotta pray for decisions to be made to follow you this morning. God, I pray for next steps in our faith this morning, God. We just love you, and we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be looking at Luke 15. Uh, verses 11 through 32 is where it's at. Um, if, you been, if you've been to church at all in your life, whether it be VBS or uh, just, uh, you know, anyway, if you've been to church anywhere, you've, you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son, right? I'm guessing that you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son. Uh, and we, we, can't, we can just assume that, that you've heard this story a few times, and it's the story of the, the son who comes to his father and says, hey, I want, my, I want all my money that you owe me. I'm going to go out and do my thing. I don't want to be here no more. And so there's three characters in this story. It's the son. There's two sons, one younger son, an older son, and a father. You get that? Everybody don't know this story? Okay, good. But we, got, we get to focus. We get so focused in the church. I remember when I was in Bible school, we always focused, or whenever we're in youth, we would always focus on the youngest son, the guy that just ran off and did his own thing. He, was, he wanted all his money, and he's going to run off and go do this thing. But what I want to tell you is the, the, the actual main character of this story is who? It's the father. The Father's God is Jesus. It's, it's, the, it's the main character of the story. He's mentioned 12 times throughout these verses we're about to read. He's mentioned the most in this story. And one of the main things we screw up so often in the church, I think, is word usage when it comes to Scripture. We are too Bible illiterate in the church today. We need to be more literate in Scripture. And what I want to show you is one of the things we screw up so often is the word called prodigal. You ever heard that? The prodigal son, what it means, it, it, we, we look at it as uh, the runaway son or the lost son. But an actual uh, definition, if you look in Webster's Dictionary, uh, it, it actually means to be reckless or wasteful or to throw things away or to, uh, or to, or to be ignorant in a lot of areas. And what I want to show you this morning in that is that so many times we miss that this story is about you and about me and about us as a church, and about where we come from um, in our walks through life. And it's about the relationship with the Father, God. And without Jesus, we cannot have that. And no matter how far we may run today, or no matter how far away we may be today, he's made a way back to Jesus, through Jesus, through the death, through the burial, and through the resurrection of the Son. And that's why we celebrate Easter. Are y'all excited about that? That's good. Okay. Hey, I've watched some football games with y'all. I know y'all get a lot more excited. So... Verses 11 through 12 is where we're going. Verse 11 through 12. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take little bits of the scripture and talk about it. Is that good? Read some, talk some, read some, talk some. Okay, here we go. Uh, verse 11 through 12, it says this. Jesus continued, there was a young man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And so if you read this just at face value, you're just kind of reading in kind of monotone. 
Uh, I don't hear him saying, Father, give me my share of my estate. This is an insult, man. This is like, give me my money. I'm, I need to get out of here. I don't, I don't want you. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. Give me my money that you owe me from, from my inheritance. Basically, what he was saying is, I don't really care if you live or die. I just want what it's owed to me so I can go. Right? And, that, and that's such a, that's such a bad, bad thing. I mean, you know, we need to really stop in this point and look at what's happening because I just, want to call it, I just want to call a spade a spade here. This joker is from a rich family, and he wants his daddy's money, but his da- he no longer wants his daddy. He's a spoiled little brat, okay? That's what he is, okay? There may be somebody here like that today. I don't know. I love you if you are, okay? Listen, now, as I was reading this, as I was walking through this this week and thinking through all the scenarios that I think that, that could possibly come up in my life, if I, was a, if I was a father, which I am, but my son's only eight months old, and if he comes to me and wants my money, that's going to be weird. But what I'm saying is, like, uh, if my, if my eight-month-old son grows up to be 18 or 20, and he comes to me and says, hey, man, give me my money. I want to go. Give me what's owed to me. First of all, I'm going to be like, I ain't got no money, man. I'm broke. I'm a pastor. And this is the one thing, but this is the one thing that would hurt me to the core. Him saying, I don't want you. I want what you have now so that I can leave, please. And so you think about that. I can't imagine anything more painful in my life for my son to come up and say that to me, right? So I'm I'm, I'm pouring into him. I'm loving him. And there's nothing in my life that I can think of that would cause more pain to me and probably my wife. But what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us a picture of what our sin looks like, right? It's something all of us have participated in in one way or another. You, I'm assuming we've all sinned in here. I'm, I'm not ask for a raise of hands. But we've all sinned in here. We've all gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We don't always want God in our lives. We don't want his control. We don't want his rules. We don't value his presence. We don't, we don't care about him until we have a need. Until someone's on their deathbed. Until someone is sick. Until we're broke. Until we're having marriage problems. And then we push him away, and then we bring him in. But what Jesus is doing, he's giving us a picture of what our relationship with the Father has looked like for so long. And at the root of all this story, we're going to read it here in a second, the root of all of it, what, is, what this son is saying is, I want to be in charge. I don't want you to be in charge anymore in my life. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. I want to be at the center. My life's about me, and it's not about you, and you can't do anything to stop me. Because I'm 18 now, and it's my money. You give it to me now. I want all the things that's owed to me. And we may not come around and say this now. We may not come out and say, God, I don't want you. I just want what you got. But do we live that way? Do we? Like, do we live that way sometimes? How we choose a spouse, how we spend our money, how we live our lives, how we do our jobs, how we, all the, do we do this in our life? And here's the biggest misconception of sin I think we have in the church today. Uh, people look at sin as if it's some series of incredibly nasty acts of just terror and evil, like murder or, 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 or lying or adultery or, or any of those things. We look at sin like that, but sin, what it does, it includes all of those things. But the thing that reveals sin the most in our hearts is the heart that says, I want to be my own Lord. You know, and, we, and we reject the lordship of Christ in our life. And that's where we come to see this in our own lives. And we know that that can't happen when God is around because he's Lord of lords. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. He's Lord of all things. And if he's around, I can't be Lord because he's Lord. Remember, right? Go read the story of Satan. Same thing. Listen, and that's the whole thing. I want to be Lord. I want to be king. And we know that can't happen if God's around. So we reject Jesus as Lord and put ourselves on the throne. I'm controlling the money, I'm controlling the relationship, I'm controlling my job, I'm controlling all this stuff. Pride is the root of every sin on the face of the planet. It's the root of every sin on the face of the planet. I got this. I'm going to white knuckle this sucker until I get it under control. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make sure this works. My wife and I are struggling. Guess what? I'm going to work it out. I'm going to make sure it works. If it don't work out, I'm going to divorce her. I'll find me somebody else that likes me, right? We're going we're gonna to take care of business because we're in charge. And what it does is it says, I'm in charge. I'm the king, not Jesus. But if you look at verse 12, this is crazy. We look right past this stuff. Verse 12 is crazy. What's it say? Last part. So he divided his property between them. Listen, if my son comes up to me and says something to me like that, I'll be like, (laughs) yeah, go cut the grass, boy. Listen. That's where I, that's what I'm saying. It's like, listen, but what's happening here? What, what is the father thinking in this moment? Like, what? Yeah, sure, here you go. There you go. Have it. 
Go see it. Go on. Go on. Listen, the Old Testament, if you look in Leviticus and some of these other Old Testament books that you skip over in your reading plans, um, the, the man, the, this man was given permission in the Old Testament to kill his son in that moment, in that culture. If that son came up, what he could do is he could take him outside the city walls, get his friends, and go throw a rock, save him until he's dead. That's the, that's the, he had the right to do that under the Levitical law in that culture, to kill his son in that moment. But what's he do? He gives him his inheritance. How fair is that? Not unfair at all. And this, we, have, we have a few points that I'm going to cover real fast. The first one is this. Even in rejection, even in rejection, God's love for you is never ending. Even in rejection, even when you say no, even when you say I don't want you, God's love for you is never ending. He still loves you. Love that never ends to the, to the very end. Every single individual in this room has rejected God just like the son did at some point in your life, I promise. You have. I have. We all have. Because we want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. We wanted that thing that we saw that we thought was more valuable than Christ, and we went after it. Right? We all have. This may be where you're at right now or where you're headed. You may be mad at God or maybe questioning like his decisions in your life. Like, God, why did you do this? Why did you let that happen? Why did I have to lose this job? Why did my wife have to pass away? Why did my child, why is my child sick? Why is my son acting crazy? Why is all these things happening? Like, we may be questioning God, but listen, God, everything God does in your life is meant to be drawing you back, you back to himself. He's drawing you back. He's drawing you back in. He's drawing you back in. He loves you regardless of if you, if you reject him or not. And one of the most hope-filled questions and truths that I've ever heard in my life, it's not a question, I don't know why I said that, but it says this, God loves you, God's love for you is never based on your actions or how you feel about him. God's love for you is never based on your actions or your feelings towards him. Isn't that awesome? That's good news. Because there's some days I'm like, God, I don't even want to talk to you today. I just don't do my own thing. I, you know, I just, I'm, I, I'm, human emotions just destroy my life sometimes. I'm not sure about y'all. But, but I'm a, you know, we're emotional creatures. My wife's like, amen. You know, listen, I, I, emotional creatures we are, and it destroys us sometimes. It, it hurts us. And you know, before, before you repented, before these people decided to get saved and get baptized, before you ever wanted to come back to God, before you ever said, I want to come back to you, God. I want, to, I want to be back in your presence. He prepared the way before you even made that decision. Before you said, I'm coming back. He made the way for it to happen by sending Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Before I even knew I wanted him, he was going to prepare a way through that. Just in case, I'd have a way back to him. Isn't that beautiful? That is a love that never will never fail you and it never ends. The Bible says in Romans 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While we were still living in our sin, Christ died for us. And you can't send your way, you can't send your way out of God's love. And you, the Bible says God's love for you is everlasting. It's never ending. And you can't do anything to gain it. And you can't do anything to lose it. It's a free gift, and it's awesome. And even when you look him in the face and says, I don't want you. I don't want you to be Lord of my life. You know what he does? He still loves you. He still loves you. Now, I'm not saying you're saved still in that moment where you're saying, I want to come in presence. Listen, he loves you and has made a way for you in that moment. Let's keep reading. Verse 13 through 16. Since not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so this got ugly real fast, right? Real fast. And so the second point I'm going to make to you this morning is God loves you in the middle of your sin. God loves you in the middle of your wandering. God loves you in the middle of your stupidity. Who's ever made a stupid decision in here? There's a few of y'all smart people. I'll see y'all. Listen, we've all made dumb decisions in our life because we're human and we have human emotion. We have human error where we, we mess up. We sin. <laughs> he loves you in the middle of it. And I'm sure you've heard before, and I'm sure you know from experience, I know 
this son understood this well. But sin can be fun for a season, am I right? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you ain't, you ain't doing it right if you ain't never sinned. Yeah, okay, listen. <laughs> but remember, the, 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 the seeds that you sow, the seeds that you sow in your sin will always be reaped in harvest. You understand that? The seeds that you sow in your sin will always be reaped at harvest time. And look at the story. What's happened in this thing? The money's gone. The, the, dude, the dude's like, the money is gone. Uh, the friends leave. Uh, what happens when the money's gone? What happens when the friends leave? What happens when the loneliness weighs in or whenever he begins to beg? What happens? What happens whenever despair comes roaring in? Listen, this rich, spoiled little kid ends up taking the job of feeding pigs. That's crazy. A rich, spoiled kid goes and feeds pigs, which were considered unclean in that culture. He's like, I don't know what else to do. But they were unclean. This was reserved for a slave. The kid says, I got to do something. I got to eat. I'm hungry. And he begins to look at the things that were, that were there. The pigs are eating. He's like, I'm hungry, man. I, gotta, I'm, I need some food. This don't look so bad anymore. I, I might eat this. I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? He goes, and, he goes and starts doing this stuff that he never thought he would do because he started looking for something living in a dead place, and it brought him to a dead place. Sin may begin with pleasure, but it will always end in despair. Always end in despair. Maybe some of you are here this morning in this place. Maybe you're stuck in some sort of secret sin. Maybe somebody in here is stuck in some sort of secret sin this morning that, that, that you're scared to bring in light because you fear rejection, and it's eating you up inside. I'm telling you, it's wearing you out, but you can't let go of it because people will reject you. You're scared people will let you leave you alone. Maybe it's some sexual sin. Maybe it's a, it's a lie you told many years ago. Maybe it's anything, but God wants you to reveal that because the Father is waiting for you to come back to him and land at the foot of the cross so he can restore you and love you and say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what you need to hear this morning. We need to be looking at him. The crazy part of this Guys, is that God still loved the son while he was living in sin. The father was waiting. If you look further in that passage, we're going to read about it in a second. It says the passage said he was a long way off and his father saw him. What that means is the father was looking for him. He was looking for him. He was like, he's coming back. Is he coming back? Is he coming back? He was looking for his son, looking for his son, looking for his son. And finally, one day he came back. And we're going to read about the part they're going to have in a second. Let's keep reading. 17 through 20. It says, when he came to his senses, underline that, that's a good one. You're going to need that later in life, I promise. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm an idiot. I didn't say that. No, it's, that's, the, that's the Michael version. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to kiss his, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Listen, because God loves you, he pursues you. Because God loves you, he pursues you. While you're in the middle of your sin, while you reject him, he pursues you. If you don't believe me, look into what Easter means. Look into what's happening today. The resurrection of Christ was God pursuing you. It's not putting you at the center of the story now. God is at the center of the story. It's his glory that's being revealed to the earth by his pursuit of you. Okay? That's what you need to hear in that. Like Jesus is getting glory for pursuing you, for dying on the cross. He receives the glory. We fall at his feet and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. He, his main way of doing this was by sending his son to die for you, like I just said. And I want to point something else out here that you might miss if you just read right through it. The story of the prodigal son, what it is, it's, it's, in a, it's in a series of stories that Jesus is telling in parables. He talked about, excuse me, he talked about the, lost, uh, the story of the lost coin where a woman had a bunch of coins and she lost one and then she turned her house upside down just to find that one coin. She had nine but she, she lost the one, so she was going to fight for it, right? You know what I'm saying? And so then the second thing was uh, the, there was the story of the lost sheep. Everybody knows the story of the lost sheep, right? The, 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 the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. A great story. That's what we need to hear this morning for hope in this place. And you may not connect in those areas. You may not say, well, I don't know what a sheep's like. I, I've never seen a sheep. I, I, you know, I, if I lost a coin, I just leave the coin. I got nine more. What's the point? You know, what's the big deal? Um, you, know, you may not connect in those ways. But you do know what it's like to lose something valuable, I'm sure. 
Have you ever lost uh, 100 bucks in your jeans before or something? $20 in your jeans? You know, I know I had it in those pair of pants. Let me go, uh, which pair of pants was it? I don't know. And you're going through the dirty clothes. You're digging through. Your wife's like, what are you doing? You're digging through, you're trying to find it. You go to your truck, you look down in the seats, you look, you're looking everywhere for that 20 bucks or that $100 because you know that you're going to need that at some time, right? Or, or think about this. What about a credit card? Does anybody have a credit card in here? Yeah, everybody has a credit card. Maybe somebody don't, I don't know. But you don't care about the other three that you have if you, go, if you lose that one. The other three that you have, nah, that one, I got to find that thing. That jerk is going to use it. Somebody's going to use it. They're going to they're gonna buy gas with it. They're going to buy some, some stuff with it. People going to think I'm crazy. I got to find that one credit card. How about a wedding ring? Let me tell you, my wife loses her. I'm just kidding. She don't. Uh, listen, we, we have, we, we, listen, uh, there are some times wherever she'll, she'll be like washing the dishes or something. She'll put a ring on the thing. And I mean, well, what's that doing there? So I'll pick it up and hide it somewhere. And, I, and I, she'll freak out for a minute. I'm, like, I'm just kidding. It's over here. And so, listen, that's the way, that's the way that, that's the way that, that panic, you know, it's like, oh my God, we're, that, that, that's the, that's the meaning of our marriage. That's the sign of our, our marriage. Where's my wedding ring? Oh my God, I gotta find it. What about a cell phone? Any teenagers in here? Cell phone. Talk about giving a teenager a heart attack. You know what I mean? Or, or a 30 or a year old man a heart attack, you know? But listen, we can all relate to something in here. If you have kids in this place or you have a parents in this place, we can all relate to the story of the lost son. You know what I mean? Think about losing a son in a ball game. Thousands of people, you lose your son. Where is he at? You don't know where he's at. Where's your daughter at? Where, where'd they go? Who, does somebody have them? Are they in the bathroom? Are they, are, what's, is somebody taken? Where, where are they at? Or think about the panic that would come over you. Man, where are they at? I can't imagine that feeling. But we can all relate to that. And this is the type of desperation that God pursues his lost sons and daughters. I got to go after them. I got to find them because they're lost. I got to go get them. And one of these stories, the, 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 you know, out of all these stories, all these three stories that we just talked about, the story of the lost son is the hardest one to see the father as the one doing the pursuing because the father is just looking. The father's looking, waiting for his son to come back, waiting for his son to come home. But listen, John 6, says, no one can, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. So let me tell you something. You come into Christ in your life was not anything that you did. Jesus drew you. God drew you in. He drew you in. It might have been circumstances. It might have been his love and kindness. It might have been a multitude of things, but God drew you in through the love of Christ, through his kindness, through, through God doing things and arranging things in your life. And I said this earlier this morning, is that God arranges every circumstance of your life, every single circumstance of your life to draw you to himself. You know, he's working through all types of things in your life to, to bring you back to him. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that for every one thing God is doing in your life that you see, he's actually doing 10,000 other things that you can't. And they're all working together for your good. They're all working together to see you brought back to him as a son and as a daughter. It may be painful circumstances. It may be a broken marriage. It may be you lose, lose all your money or you lose your job or something you thought was so secure has fallen apart. But God is using all of those things to draw you back. But the reason we don't see it that way because our minds are so temporal. Our minds are so fixated on the things of the earth. I lost my job. You know, in the grand scheme of things, who cares? You're saved and God's got you secure in the kingdom, right? But we don't think that way in our culture because we're so temporal and physically minded. He's trying to draw you back to the only source of true and lasting joy, and that is a relationship with Jesus. We talked about this last week, joy. Remember that? Joy. The only way to have true and lasting joy in your life is to have a true, growing relationship with Jesus, period. Anything else you seek to fill that will lead to disappointment. You'll be disappointed when the money runs out. You'll be disappointed when your wife or husband disappoints you. You'll be disappointed when your kids act crazy and ain't perfect like you thought they were going to be. You'll be disappointed in all these ways. Jesus is the only way for true and lasting joy. And for many of you today, let me tell you what, that's exactly what he's been doing today, even leading you here to this point this weekend. And some of you are like, Man, my wife drugged me here. My kids guilted me into coming. I got to come to that church. I don't want to come over there. They, they, they're crazy, man. Listen, you may have felt like it was random. You may have felt like it was not even 
right, or you may feel like he was just coming. But I'm going to tell you what, God is pursuing you and he's using people in your life to pursue you and draw you back to his presence, draw you back to him. Verse 20, what does it say? Verse 20 of this chapter says, but while he was still a long way off, think about what a long way off means. He was entrenched in his sin. He was, he was lost. He didn't know where he was going. He barely knew the way back home. He was so blind by the sins that had been in his, in his life. He said his father saw him and felt compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. There's something in here you need to see in this scripture. Grown men of these days, they didn't run. I ain't running. You go get that thing. You know what I mean? I, I got my big robe on. It might be weird if I run this thing. You know what I mean? People might see too much. You know what I mean? Listen, this father didn't care about his dignity. He didn't care about his glory. Jesus stripped himself of his deity, came to earth, and died in our muddy, little, sinful life for us. He didn't need that. He came down to meet us, to wrap his arms around us, to kiss us, and to love us, and show him that he cared about his son and his daughter. Isn't that awesome? That's what it's about. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the gospel every weekend here in this church because the gospel is essential to everything we do. The gospel is essential to my life and should be to your life because without it, there's no hope at all. No, without the gospel, there's no hope. Let's read verse 21 and 24. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And look, the, you see the difference between the, the two guys here? The beginning, give me my money. Now it's like, I, I know I don't need to, need to be, I can't even be called your son. I'm worthless. God, please, just, just, just take me back and let me be a servant. Let me just work in the fields. Let me just do some manual labor because I, I don't deserve to be your son anymore because I rejected you. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's where a lot of us are today. We're scared to come back to God because we think we've run too far. We've lost that feeling of acceptance. We've given it way to condemnation. We've allowed the enemy to lie to us and tell us things that aren't true. But it said the father had compassion and loved him and received him and led him back into the house. Thank God. Number four, because God loves you, he offers you overflowing grace. Overflowing grace. Not just a little bit of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Infinity. You know what I mean? Grace upon grace. And grace, the, the, the elementary definition is getting something that you don't deserve. You don't deserve it, but you get it. You receive it. This boy didn't deserve nothing. This boy didn't deserve, he didn't deserve to be back in the home. He didn't deserve a hug from his father. But our God is not a God of half measures, thank God. Our God is a God of overflowing grace. The father, what's he do? You look at these things here. Uh, I didn't read it, did I? Nope, I didn't. I didn't finish. Sorry. Let's read uh, verse 22. <laughs> uh, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. and let him. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine is, is dead and is alive again. He, is, he was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. How many of us celebrate when somebody comes from death to life? Is it real to you? Have you become spiritually awake to see that someone was once going to hell apart from Christ and has now been lifted high in Jesus' name to be a son of God through Christ? That is something to celebrate, man. That's something that we should get more excited about than a touchdown an 18-year-old makes, right? Listen, that's what it's about. It's about the kingdom of God. And what's the Father give him? He gives him things, three things that he doesn't deserve. He gives him a, he gives him a robe. He gives him a ring. He puts sandals on his feet, and then he has a party. The son's like, what's happening? I don't understand. Like, I should be beat. I should be thrown out of here. What's, uh, what's going on? The robe, what's he say? He says, bring the best robe. Bring the best robe and put it on him. And I want to tell you this. Keep in mind, the best robe in that culture, the best robe was reserved and belonged to the father of the house, the leader of the house. He came in and said, give him my robe. Give him my robe. Give him the robe that I wear. Let that sink into your mind a second. Jesus comes and says, you know what? I see your sin. I see your sin. Come to me. I'll give you the clothes of the Father. I'll, put, I'll clothe you in the Father's love. I'll clothe you in the love of the Father that you can't imagine. Grace upon grace upon grace. And he's being clothed with the Father's clothing. And that's so cool, man. 
Number two, he gave him a ring. He put a ring on his finger. He probably had a ring before he left the house. And I think there was a restoration moment in that thing. Here's, here's your ring back. You're my son. This is a symbol of authority. You're the son of the house. You have full inheritance. You are the, you are the, in the, you are the heir to this, everything you see. Everything. And then the last thing he did is he put sandals on his feet. This is a symbol of wealth, man. Everybody didn't wear sandals back in those days. The servants probably were barefoot. He put sandals on his feet to make him feel like a man again. And I'm going to tell you what. Do you see what's happening? The son had come back to his father, and what did he say? I just want to work for you, man. I, I haven't been the best dude. I, I just want to come work for you. And um, can, I, I've been eating pig stuff, and, you know, it's been weird. I had a really weird time in my life. I just want to come back and sweep your floors. Can I do that? You know what I mean? And then he's like, okay, you know, let's, guess what? No, that's not what you're going to do. Your request denied. He's been restored as a son. You're coming back into my house as my son, not my servant. Isn't that awesome? And this is the gospel, and this is what it is, and this is what I want you to see, is do you see how the son's heart had changed from the beginning of the story? And our natural reaction, when we know that we've sinned, guys, in this room, when you sinned, everybody's admitted that we're sinners, our natural reaction is to go to God and try to work it off as a servant. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to go on 17 mission trips. I'm going to do this. I'm going to love my neighbor. But guess what? All the while, all you're doing is white-knuckling it, and it has nothing to do with God and everything to do with yourself trying to get to a better place. When you come to Jesus, you let all of that go, and the service you do for him is all for him, all about him, and bringing all the glory to him, and not about yourself. And I want to tell you right now, it's not how we see God work in this story. No relationship, no relationship can be built or cultivated through works. A husband and wife, a friendship, a relationship with God. You cannot cultivate that by working for it. You cannot cultivate a relationship by working for it. The only way to, to know God is on the basis of grace. And the only way to receive grace is through faith. It's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all there is to it. And where's the shame in this story? Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen any shame. Uh, there, the father doesn't shame him and say, you're an idiot, man. Why'd you go do that? You're just wasting my money. Like, what, you know, what the heck, man? You, you see any of that? No. Huh. Sorry. It's gone. The only one who experiences any shame in this story is the father because he runs to his son, looks like a fool. He's indignant to his son because I love you. I want you back. Come into the house. Where's the punishment? He should have been beaten like a dog is what it should have, what it should have happened. Where's it at? It ain't there. It's gone. Who pays the son's sin for the sins? Who pays for the son's sin in this story? It, it ain't the son. It's the father. The father absorbs every ounce of the wrath that he had towards the son, and there was nothing left to, to put on the son. Instead of shame, instead of beating, instead of humiliation, guess what happens? There's robes and rings and sandals and fatted calves. And the son's like, I don't understand what's happening. This is weird. Like, why are we having a party? I'm embarrassed. You know, that, that's our natural reaction. But the greatest, the most wonderful, the most humiliating point in your life when you come to Christ and you think he's going to shame you, you think he's going to punish you, go to Romans 8.1 and look at all these stories of there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The best word in our faith is grace. If you understand grace, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. You're getting something you don't deserve. And so if you haven't figured this out yet, this whole entire story you're reading this morning is about Jesus' death and resurrection. The cross was meant for us to have eternal life with Christ. It was Jesus running after us. It was Jesus taking upon himself our shame. He was severely beaten. He was severely spit on. He was nails in his hands and in his feet. And I want to tell you right now, crucifixion, I did a thinking about this this week. People say that crucifixion was so painful that men would weep and vomit and, and urinate on themselves because they were so, in so much pain. Go study it. And on top of this, he was scorched to the point where the skin on his back was laid open and there was fragments of his back laid open and it was laid on top of a splintery cross and raised up in the air. And every time he tried to raise up and breathe, the back was just in pain in severe pain over losing a son and a daughter. But he saw the joy 
set before him. And he went anyway. He did it anyway. And he rose from the dead. And I'm going to tell you right now, movies that we've watched, Passion of the Christ, those things, they're great, but they destroy the actual intensity of the situation. It doesn't really make, it, you don't really see the gore of what was happening. That Jesus was bearing your sin and saying, do you understand what the cross is, man? Let me tell you what, it's Jesus taking the place of your rebellion. Because you've rebelled against Christ. His life for ours. The cross for many people today is just a decoration or a piece of jewelry or a shape that we wear around our neck or put in our house. And it's just, it's just there. And it's a symbol of faith. But the cross is everything. The cross is a statement that Jesus took, you know, in all in our place and offers us life if we choose to receive it. Because it's about receiving him. The resurrection, what we're celebrating today was Jesus making all things new. Everything in your life, new. Restoring you back to, to, the, to sonship, to, to, to the love of the Father. It's where Jesus took our sin and put it away in the grave and gave his robe of righteousness to us. It's where he put his new ring of life on us, the new authority. He put sandals on our feet, made us new. If the cross and the resurrection actually happen, it means that, there's, that there is none of us who are beyond the reach of God's grace. None. And let me tell you, no sin too great, no shame too deep. He is able to save all those people who come to him with faith and surrender. Surrender. If the cross and the resurrection are true, there's nothing that you could do to gain salvation or God's love, and there's nothing you have done that makes him love you less. And this is grace in this story. There's the, the, you get the position of the son because Jesus paid the price of your sin and your rebellion. Verse 25 through 32, really quick, says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the, to the house, he heard the music and dancing. He came near to the house. Remember that. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father was killed the fattened calf because he was, he's back and safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and been, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But, but when the, this son of yours has, who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the last point I want to make to you this morning is God loves you when you're too prideful to receive his love. And I want to tell you this morning, that's been me in my life, bro. That's been me in my life where God, know God loves me so much, but I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. The brother on the surface, he looks like the opposite of the younger son, doesn't he? He looks like the good kid. He looks like the one that doesn't ever do anything wrong. But check out this small detail. He was on the outside of the house. Don't miss details in parables. They're important. Jesus had a very specific person in mind when he was telling the story of the older brother. And I think it was the religious person. The person who's religious, who's lived a good life, who thinks that God owes them heaven because they never, but, but they never experienced God's grace for themselves or had a relationship with Jesus. The brother may be near the house, near church, near the family of God, but he didn't have the heart of the Father. And he was full of pride and bitterness and anger towards his father for receiving his brother back. And do you ever notice that religious people can be some of the most unloving people on the planet? Yeah? Why do you think churches aren't overflowing with people? The number one answer, people don't go to church. Too many hypocrites. That hurts, man. You're self-righteous. Some of, some of you may be a victim of that. That's, that's because religion, what it does is it cleans you up on the outside, but it leaves you dead on the inside. And Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They were beautiful on the outside. They knew all the stories. They knew all the verses. They had the robes. But on the inside, they were nothing. And religion doesn't actually change the heart. It just leads to pride and leads, leads you straight to hell. It'll block you from being able to receive God's grace and love and what God wants to do is change your heart. God loves you during this time too, when you're proud and prideful. And he wants you to come back as a son and a daughter. And sometimes we have a hard time seeing this. We believe God loves a lost sinner, but we don't believe that God loves a lost religious person. And according to Jesus, there's two people that miss the gospel. It's the religious and the self-righteous. Excuse me. It's the rebellious 
and the self-righteous. Rebellious say, I want it my way. I'm the Lord. And the self-righteous says, look how good I am. I do all the scripture. I serve every week. Kids and blue, same time. Awesome. I'm good. But I'm going to tell you right now, God's like, you ain't that good, you know. And this morning, you have a choice. On Easter Sunday, you have a choice. What are you going to do with Jesus? Accept or reject? Accept him as Lord. Reject him is not important. And no person you come in contact with, with Jesus, can ever stay the same. And my question for you, is: he been speaking to you this morning? Has he been priding your heart? Hey, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. I'm here waiting for you. I've been waiting for you the whole time with an arms and a kiss. I'm here for you. You were born with a purpose. You were born with worth. You were born to be used for the kingdom of God to bring glory to the ends of the earth. And if that's you this morning, if you never put your faith in Christ for salvation, if you never put your faith in Jesus, solely Jesus, as the king of your life, and you want to do that this morning, I want to walk with you personally through that. Or some of our, our, our prayer team leaders would love to pray with you. If that's you this morning, I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus made a bold step when he took himself to the cross. A bold step. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the wrath for you. And so this morning, I want to ask you to do something. But I just want to ask you, if you've never done that, and you know the day is the day of salvation for you, I just want to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. Is there anybody here this morning? Because Jesus has been speaking to your heart this morning. You know it. And you know it's time. Is that anybody? Okay. If God's still speaking to your heart in other areas, don't leave the same way you came. Don't walk out of here the same way you came. This is a life or death decision. I'm not trying to be crazy, but it is. God loves you. We love you. We want to be here for you. So don't leave the same way you came. I just want to pray for us and then we can go uh, eat the food. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you are. God, I praise your holy name. God, I praise you for the resurrection. I praise you for the cross. God, I pray that you would just change hearts here this morning. God, as, as we walk out of here, God, I pray that you would just move in our hearts and families and lives. God, we love you so much. And it's your name I pray.